You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordleone, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. We anticipated that there would be some interesting arguments when Roe v. Wade fell, when Dobbs overturned that landmark ruling. Well, the battleground shifted, not only in location, but in the nature of the arguments, especially being made by those who still advocate for abortion. And the American Civil Liberties Union has a very interesting argument it's trying to make in court. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Joining us to talk about the ACLU argument that abortion is a religious right, Tom Jipping, Senior Legal Fellow for the Heritage Foundation's Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, author of a column for The Federalist titled Leftist Lawyers Trying to Protect Killing the Unborn by Calling It a Religion. Tom, welcome back. Thanks for having me. How did the Dobbs ruling shift the legal battles over abortion? Uh, Well, I think it had two major effects. One was to shift the location of legal efforts to strike down pro-life laws from federal to state courts in most cases. And it affected the kinds of arguments that are being made. The one that you've mentioned that we'll talk about is an example where state laws sometimes or state constitutions provide or suggest different kinds of arguments to make than the U.S. Constitution did. So it, I'd like to think that it made the job a little more difficult for the pro-abortion side because they've got to be more creative and go state by state rather than just one club on the whole country. So what arguments have some made, and in particular the American Civil Liberties Union, what have they made for abortion ostensibly based on the free exercise of religion? Well, the First Amendment and federal and the state versions of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act protect the free exercise of religion, and they say that the government can substantially burden your free exercise only by the most compelling of reasons. Well, the ACLU has gone to court in several states where they have these laws and have said that getting an abortion is an exercise of religion. Therefore, the state may not prohibit getting an abortion. And that's the clash between those two legal arguments. It doesn't, it's not going to pop up in every state, but it has in several so far. What is the strict scrutiny standard of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Indiana? Yeah, strict scrutiny. I mean, that's a lawyers make up lots of little words and phrases, and they pretend like they know exactly what they mean. But basically, strict scrutiny is simply the highest legal standard that you'll find in any area of law. It basically sets a very tough standard for the government to do something. In this case, the government may substantially burden your free exercise of religion only with a compelling purpose 
and only when they're using the least restrictive means to achieve that purpose. That is a very difficult standard to meet. What does substantial burden then mean in light of RIFRA? Of the different terms in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, substantial burden is one of those that the statute itself doesn't define, and it can be a little bit illusory to kind of grab a hold of the meaning. A substantial burden, first of all, has to be viewed from the person exercising their religion. In other words, it's my view that it substantially burdens my free exercise of religion. It's not just a burden. That could be anything. It has to be a substantial burden. But there's a lot of wiggle room there, and and some of the cases that go to court involving the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, this is one of the issues where the lawyers are arguing about whether a particular government action is a substantial burden. The ACLU in particular is arguing that Judaism, the free exercise of Judaism, be substantially burdened by an abortion ban. Are these arguments asserting that Judaism not only permits but also requires abortion? The most recent case of this kind in Indiana, the Jewish plaintiffs there are claiming that at least, you know, as you may know, there's different kind of categories of Judaism from reform to ultra-Orthodox. They're claiming that at least their understanding of Judaism might actually require an abortion in certain circumstances, and that therefore when Indiana prohibits that, they're interfering with their religious practice. In other states, the plaintiffs are simply arguing, look, our religion allows abortions that the state is prohibiting, and that that alone amounts to a substantial burden. I think that's a very difficult argument to make. You can imagine many, many things that a religion would allow, but that the government legitimately prohibits. So both kinds of cases are being brought. I think the argument that has more traction would be one that, if it's true, that a religion requires an abortion. So what legal obstacles do these arguments face? Well, in a Religious Freedom Restoration Act lawsuit, you have to prove that the government action substantially burdens the exercise of religion. We don't want courts second-guessing religious believers all the time on all these things, but they have to, especially in those states where, like we were just saying, uh, all the plaintiffs are arguing is that their religion allows abortions that the state is prohibiting, they have to show that that is a substantial burden on their religious exercise. But then they also, the burden then shifts to the government. If the government can show a compelling purpose, the purpose would, would most obviously be protecting human life. There's nothing more compelling than that. And how do you protect human life in the abortion context? Well, you ban the killing of human beings. There isn't anything narrower than that. There's not an alternative way of reaching that result. So the plaintiffs have certain things they have to prove, but I think here what's going to happen in these suits, if they get all the way through, is the courts deciding whether the protection of human life is a compelling interest. That's going to be the key. I obviously believe it is. It certainly would be in any other context than abortion, and I hope that that's what the courts will find here as well. How has the Supreme Court applied RIFRA in the past? It's kind of a mixed bag. 
Congress passed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in the early 90s in response to a Supreme Court decision that really narrowed the protection for the exercise of religion. And, you know, a lot of RIFRA cases are sort of ordinary. Some of the real high-profile ones that have come up, people may have heard of the, the Hobby Lobby case just a number of years ago where the Obama administration tried to force Christian businesses to cover not just contraception, but to cover abortifacient birth control. That was a RIFRA case. That was an example of where substantial burden had to be proved. The court suggested that would not really be difficult to prove, that from the religious observer's perspective, many burdens that the government would impose are, in fact, substantial. So that's probably the best-known RIFRA case. And it's a very, very important law that, unfortunately, a number of groups like the ACLU that once supported it uh, no longer do because I think they're following a political ideology more than respect of the fundamental right to exercise religion. In that vein, is it unusual that the ACLU is actually citing RIFRA in its arguments? Well, it is a sign of the times. In 1993, what was called the Coalition for the Free Exercise of Religion, it was a very broad, diverse, grassroots coalition Uh, including the ACLU and some of the most conservative groups in the country. They rallied together around a single principle that it ought to be difficult for the government to interfere with the exercise of religion. And everybody agreed to it. And now, coming up on 30 years later, a number of those groups, including the ACLU, have now said, well except for this or except for that, which is exactly what we tried to avoid when passing RIFRA in the first place. It is a sign of the times. Unfortunately, the ACLU has turned religious freedom into a an ideological weapon. They've tried to weaponize religious freedom to try to achieve a, a political goal. And I'm afraid that that's kind of where the trend is today. In general, how has the legal community reacted to the ACLU's argument? Well, I think most people are probably skeptical of the kind of argument that they're making, but it is new. So I think the legal community is probably waiting to see whether, number one, groups like the ACLU will be filing this kind of lawsuit in more states around the country. There's about I think 22, 23 states that have Religious Freedom Restoration Acts at the state level. And then, of course, we're all going to watch and see how the courts handle it. Initially, if the courts really don't take these arguments seriously, that's going to be a sign that that new gambit that the ACLU is using, you know, is probably going to peter out. If, on the other hand, some of these cases start succeeding, that may give them more incentive to try to repeat this around the country. So it's a new argument. So I think there's a lot of wait and see going on to try to keep tabs on how this particular argument and what they're doing is trying to take legal protection away from the unborn is what they're trying to do. We know that that's their purpose, but this is a new way to try to do it. So we're waiting to see whether it gets some traction. In your opinion, how likely is it that the ACLU will succeed? Well, I I really think that 
in those states where their argument is simply that my religion allows abortions that the state is prohibiting, I don't think that's going to succeed as a substantial burden on the exercise of religion. It's going to be a closer call if the plaintiffs can show that their religion requires an abortion that the state is prohibiting. And, as I said before, the the key to me that I'm really going to pay attention to is whether the government's assertion of a compelling interest, the highest, strongest interest in protecting human life is going to be recognized by the courts. I suspect that's going to be a mixed bag, and ultimately it will have to be decided by the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court. Tom Jipping is Senior Legal Fellow at the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. He's author of a column for The Federalist titled Leftist Lawyers Try to Protect Killing the Unborn by Calling it a Religion. You can read it at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Tom, thanks. Thanks for having me. We will be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, with Pastor Sean Denzer on the other side of the break. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, 